Psychic ability. There are those who feel we all have it, to some extent. But if we do, then how can we make good use of it? I took this question to a frequent guest of Higher Journeys and author of Guide to Psychic Power, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. According to Rosemary, we can use our psychic faculties to glean answers to big questions, repair our health, and even improve our finances. But are there any secrets to know in the process of effectively utilizing our psychic senses? Let's listen in to what Rosemary had to say. Rosemary, it is always a real treat to have you on Higher Journeys. And as you know, we've covered many interesting subjects over the years. But you know, one that we haven't discussed and that I know our audience will love, including me, is the subject of what we're going to call practical magic. Now, many people are intrigued with the idea that they can employ various forms of what is known as magic, uh, by the way, with a C, not with a K, to enhance their daily lives or even shift major aspects of their lives. And that's what I want to focus on today. So thank you for joining us once again. It's always a pleasure, Alexis. I've yes. uh, always enjoyed our interviews and you do such a great job covering so many topics. Oh, well, thank you. Well, I always say I'm only as good as my guests, so you make it easy for me. <laughs> and this is going to be fun. It's going to be fun. You know, I want to talk about your book, one of 60, by the way, folks, or are we beyond 60 at this point? We're um, currently working on 65. Oh, my goodness. I can't keep track. Well, this is a good one out of the 65. They're all great. But this is what I want to focus on uh, or, or base our conversation on. Your book called Guide to Psychic Power, Guide to Psychic Power. In it, you say this. You say, Quote, everyone is born with an innate psychic ability that serves as a rich source of guidance, wisdom, insight, creativity, and healing, end quote. And yet, there are so many who don't, this is me talking, who don't or won't acknowledge these gifts for one reason or another. Maybe they think they don't have it. I think, however, now more than ever, people are being nudged or even forced to look for alternative solutions to the myriad of challenges they're faced with these days. we got a ton of stuff going on. So I want to ask you to start out. How can cultivating um, and making good use of these abilities work in our favor? What, what would be some examples? There are so many ways, Alexis, and many people experience these things spontaneously, and they don't really connect it to something that they could use all the time. And one is, having uh, a really strong sense of knowing how something is going to work out. Mm -hmm. You can call them gut instincts, hunches, premonitions, many different terms for it. But uh, you are faced with a situation or perhaps a decision. And without knowing a lot of facts at hand or having any real evidence to back you up, you just have a, a very strong feeling mm -hmm. how something's going to work out if you take a certain course of action. All of us, no matter how intuitive or psychic we are, we've all had cases where we have overridden that early warning system and taken a course of action that's been problematic for us. And we've all said to ourselves later, I knew it was going to work out that way, but yet we overrode the early warning system. So we get early mm. warnings. And that can be to ward off something that's not a good idea. It can also work in the opposite direction. That is, give us a, a, a real positive boost for something that might be a good thing to do, but it might involve risk taking or something that uh, we want all the 
um, you know, everything nailed down and not everything is nailed down. So we're unwilling to move until it does. Um, that's one of the greatest ways that our psychic power works for us is to always steer us in the best possible direction. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we have these, uh, throughout life and, um, Sometimes, uh, you know, people get into a crisis situation where they need to make a really important decision and they have difficulty listening to that voice because they haven't trained themselves mm. to do it in the past. Well, this is where your book is 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 brilliant because it's got so many examples and so, uh, so many different ways that we can start to train ourselves um, and, and get into that mode so that it becomes more of a natural part of our lifestyle. And, you know, there's some basic uh, things that you do highlight in your book uh, to ready ourselves, including proper breathing techniques and regular meditation. Let's talk about that for a bit. Why would those two things be a good sort of primer for our own psychic uh, capabilities? Well, I've long believed, and I'm not the only one in the field to believe this by any means, that meditation is key to uh, all of our psychic and paranormal uh, development. Uh, paranormal investigators should learn how to meditate. Spiritual seekers should learn how to meditate. And what meditation does is it conditions consciousness. Mm. It's like it's like going to the psychic or spiritual gym. It uh, builds up your spiritual foundation, whatever that is, whatever faith you follow, whatever principles you follow, it strengthens that. And it provides uh, a strong connection to the spirit realm, to the higher self, and to that innate psychic power. The more you meditate, the more connected you are to the unseen realms. And uh, this is where we get um, our psychic promptings anyway, from things that we can't often can't tangibly identify. Um, It's a knowing. And it, it does come from the higher planes of consciousness. So meditation will strengthen that faculty. And uh, it also helps to open up the third eye. And that's, uh, that's our psychic center. Uh, that is connected to our ability to see the unseen, clairvoyance, clairaudience, hear the, hear the unheard, uh, clairsentience, sense or feel the unfelt. Uh, and um, all of these faculties uh, then become much stronger when we meditate. And it doesn't take uh, a lot every day. Uh, just spe- even spending 10 or 15 minutes a day meditating mm-hmm. can uh, really fertilize that expanded state of consciousness. Great, great. Well, that's something, of course, many people, I, I think it's it's definitely um a modality that's gaining more popularity even in the mainstream. But there's still so many questions as to, you know, do I do it at the same time every day? Should it be done at the same place in the same place? Can we mix it up? You know, what would what would be your thoughts on that in terms of uh, regularity? Sure, in terms of daily, but what, how important is doing it at the same time and in the same place, you think? For some people who like routine and structure, it's very important. And they may have uh, the type of lifestyle that enables them to do that. People like me, uh, and I think a, a lot of us fall into this category, we're on the fly a lot, our hours are not the same. I travel a lot. Uh, when I'm home, uh, my practice is pretty consistent that I meditate in the morning before I start my work day. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that 
that's the best time for me. And I've experimented doing other times of the day. By the time I get my day going, it's harder for me to, to switch into that meditative state. Sure. Uh, now, other people, however, uh, find that um, it works better for them if they sort of take time out during the day because it it's um, a way of rebalancing and kind of calming things down and um, settle settling things out, and they find that very useful. Other people find meditating at night very helpful. It sort of, uh, you know, helps them unwind from the day. It prepares their sleep better. So my advice to people always is experiment. And you don't have to do it at the same time every day. Um, when I travel, I don't always meditate every day. Uh, and But I, I do do it as often as I can uh, because it, it is the repetition of it that's important. Just like going to the gym. If you stop going to the gym after a while thinking, well, I've, I've finally achieved my physical fitness that I want, you're going to find out that uh, the muscles start losing their, uh, their strength, uh, your conditioning changes. You have to keep it up, and it's the same with meditation. In order to keep up that spiritual strength, that spiritual energy and connection, you have to keep reinforcing it. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. Well, you get into some really neat, um, I think you call them keys in, in your book, um, uh, different methods uh, to meditate as well as other things. And I loved the open-eyed meditation. That's something that I, and I've been sort of dipping in and out of the practice of meditation since I was a teenager with my parents who dragged me to meditation class. But I, I have tried open-eyed meditation. It's a slightly different experience and quite interesting. We'll talk about that a little bit and why that would be effective versus eyes closed. Open-eyed meditation is something I learned in Zen, and uh, that was back in the 1980s. I took some instruction from uh, a Zen master and discovered that I like Zen meditation quite a bit. It's very different from uh, Western meditation that's been adapted from um, other Eastern practices such as yogurt, where uh, yo- such Did as you say yoga. Yogurt? <laughs> <laughs> Strike that. that out. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it in. I think the audience is yoga. <laughs> anyway, yoga. Yoga. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and we naturally think that when we meditate, we should close our eyes because that shuts out distractions. But in open-eyed meditation, uh, you allow the natural world, your environment, to become part of your meditative experience. And the principle in Zen is that you should learn how to be still within no matter what is going on around you. And so by leaving your eyes open, and in meditative practice, it's, it's not open staring straight ahead, but with the eyes sort of cast downward at, um, if you can imagine, a 45-degree angle, so that um, it, you're able to get into an altered state, but you are still aware of everything going on around you. And what the Zen practitioner does is he or she allows all of that activity, the sounds, what might be otherwise distracting, to sort of pass through you like water through a sieve. It doesn't affect your inner calmness, your centeredness. You are able to achieve those connections no matter where you are and what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons why I liked open-eyed meditation is that... um, well, I've always been a very focused person. I should say that by background. I have uh, an incredible ability to 
uh, no matter what I'm doing, when I'm really in, intent about it to block out um, other things going on around me um, to uh, a, a pretty good degree. And I was a journalist. I worked as a journalist for almost a decade. When you're in an open bullpit area, like a lot of newsrooms are, there is an incredible hubbub going on. There are phones yes. ringing and people running around and right. uh, carrying on all kinds of conversations around you. And you have to be very focused on your story or on the person you're talking to on the phone. So you have to blot it all out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, uh, I alternate between doing open-eyed meditation and closed-eye meditation. They're both very effective for me. But um, people who have a hard time meditating, uh, getting the hang of it, especially in the beginning, might try open-eyed meditation. And uh, one of the things that I tell, uh, I tell my students when I do meditation classes is that when distractions arise, uh, whether it's thoughts or if you're in open-eyed meditation, things you're seeing around you, uh, you you just allow it to fall away from you. And one of the techniques is you allow it to fall like water through a sieve. And you just let it go. You let it fall and drain out and um, constantly recenter and return to your meditation focus. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that's a very effective technique. Uh, many people think that... Um, you have to have a huge, you have to be able to block everything out 100% all the time. And the human mind just isn't geared like that. Mm. Uh, it would be a, a highly unusual uh, individual who could blot everything out for extended periods of time and allow no extraneous thoughts to creep in. It's, it's just natural. So the technique is rather than trying to blot them out, uh, make them non-existent, uh, just allow them not to have an impact on mm-hmm. that inner state. So, so let me just understand because I, anyone that meditates has, has, you know, can relate to struggling with, you know, uh, not thinking of anything, you know, or or not allowing external or extraneous noises to affect their meditation. Are you saying that, for instance, let's say you're meditating and you hear a truck pass, and rather than trying to push that out, you're in a sense, are you focusing on not focusing on it, but acknowledging it, and then letting it go until it, you know, goes? I mean, um, well, it, it's um, kind of hard to put into words. But yeah. uh, well, for example, uh, when I lived in New York State, um, the zendo that I practiced in, uh, we, uh, we rented out uh, the meeting room of Quaker Church. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be right next door to the fire station. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, every now and then, you know, we would have uh, a case where the sirens would go off and the bells would clang and, you know, a fire engine would roar out. Uh, and you have to learn how to not be jarred out of your meditative right. state by that. Mm-hmm. So for me, it would be a case of like I could be floating along in a very nice meditative state and boing, suddenly something seems to kind of shatter that. 
um, I would just regain my equilibrium as soon as I could, which might be after the distraction passes, mm-hmm. and just very gently allow myself to come back to center. You learn to focus on what's called the still point within. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a turning inward in meditation, even in open-eyed meditation. And uh, rather than being bothered by that, like, oh, why did that fire alarm have to go off while I was in such a nice meditative state? It's just, um, it's just another shift. Right, right. I can see where, um, how would you say, acknowledging the surroundings, either visual or uh, audible, can perhaps enhance or, or help to excel your your um your practice i kind of i, I kind of get that um anyway it, it yeah. can it, it becomes part of the backdrop then because right. all of these things then uh over a period of time as you get more practiced at it they they just start fading into the backdrop mm-hmm. of uh, of life mm-hmm. um the life that you're experiencing while you are in a deeper more focused state of concentration mm-hmm we could talk about the meditation thing all day because there's just so many different fine points. I do want to stay on it a little bit longer. Um, and then we're going to graduate to talk about um, getting into the actual uh, practice of magic or really using our, our, our psychic faculties proactively. But a few more questions about the meditation. How about meditating while gazing at a candle flame? What do you think about that? It's a very good tool for helping to focus. And many people have used candle flames with great success. It's a very good tool, especially for beginners. Mm -hmm. And what happens um, when you gaze at something like that, um, and the way you gaze at it, uh, I should say first, is through a soft focus. And uh, I teach this in mirror gazing as well, that mm. it's it's like looking off into the distance without really seeing anything in great detail, that you look at the candle flame, but rather it's, it's uh, with this kind of unfocused soft gaze so that you're very much aware of the candle flame, but you're still also perceiving everything around it. And if you do it in dim light, then what that Uh, does is uh, the physical eye kind of becomes fatigued. Uh, Whenever light is dim, the eyes work harder to make things out. And uh, the principle is that when the physical eye becomes fatigued, it enables the clairvoyant faculty to to take over. So uh, things like a candle... um, dim light uh, in a reflective surface surface like a crystal ball or mm. um, you know a black mirror or something like that uh, can help alter the physical field of vision so that uh, you start stepping into the between worlds with a clairvoyant vision interesting I do want to talk a little bit uh, about the uh, mirror scrying that that is a modality in and of itself that I find fascinating. And I know you're adept at that, that process and have taught that. Um, but um, we'll, we'll get to that. So many different fine points here to, to really talk about. Um, you have talked about, or I've heard other people talk about meditation as a trigger for psychic experiences, like out of body experiences, OBEs. I myself have not had a full OBE that I am aware of, but certainly I felt that I was on the on the periphery of one while in a meditative state. That's always intrigued me. Can can one go into a meditation rosemary with more of a focused expectation, like getting out of the body, or even getting answers to questions they may have? 
Well, you certainly can. One of the, uh, there are two ways to use meditation, and one, which is considered really the best way for spiritual practice, is to just simply still the mind and enter into um, an expanded consciousness state um, to make that connection to spirit. Uh, the other is active med- meditation, which is um, directing your meditation to accomplish some kind of purpose. And you can do that uh, by setting an intention, instructing yourself to um, get an answer to a certain question or to have a certain kind of experience. Many people will have spontaneous out-of-body experiences while meditating. And uh, some people may meditate for years and years, most of their lives even, without having um, a a real visceral out-of-body experience. It just depends on the individual. But for example, I use active meditation quite a bit. Hmm. And uh, sometimes, um, you know, if I need to make a decision about something and I'm weighing various alternatives, a lot of decisions are neither right nor wrong. They're just different, you know, and you're trying to sort out the best ones, uh, the best uh, possible answers and courses of action. And uh, so I will uh, ask for guidance on that. Now, answers don't always come during meditation, but you've put the process Mm. in motion. Mm. And they may come later. They may come during a dream. They may come later on in the day. Whenever the answer is appropriate and in terms of timing to make itself known to you, uh, uh, even a flash, uh, an awareness like, oh, yeah, that's what I should do. It's all clear to me now. Mm. Uh, So you've... You've uh, greased the the wheels, you know, to uh, to get you where you're going, and that's very effective for me. I do like uh, active meditation. Uh, I use it for creativity in my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I also use it for manifestation. That's another way to use uh, active med- um, meditation. Well, let's talk where, about that Man- manifesting okay. through. I definitely <laughs> am interested in that. G- give us an example. Can you tell us a story of? perhaps one where you manifested something through active meditation? Well, I do it for my long-range goals. Uh, That is, um, you know, I have a business plan, what I want, um, uh, what what I, goals that I would like to achieve uh, for myself, my writing, um, my, um, my overall career. And I have a business plan for that. And so when, uh, when I do active meditation, uh, I focus on, uh, you, I, usually I'll take a single goal. And I have many goals. I have short-range goals and long-range goals. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's good to focus on one thing at a time. Uh, But there can be a big picture and smaller picture. So sometimes I'll take a short-range goal, like I would like certain things to happen by a certain time. um, And I um, do active meditation, uh, which as as a combination of affirmation and visualization Mm -hmm. to um, envision that as already as already having happened. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important that uh, when you look at accomplishing your goals, uh, you shouldn't look at them as someday I'm going to or when I'm going to or uh, off into the future, but to uh, envision your goal as already having been realized. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, how long that takes, that that depends on a lot of other factors. Um, I also have big picture manifestation goals where... um, 
what I would like to see. Uh, you know, my company is Visionary Living, and it has a publishing an arm, it has a media arm, it has an events arm. And uh, where do I want? You know, what do I see for Visionary Living in the future? Mm-hmm. And so I have a picture for that, which is uh, more general. And the important thing about manifestation is that uh, you have to apply your own elbow grease. Of course. But by uh, by visualizing, by contemplating and meditating and doing all of this inner work, uh, it does help you make the decisions and take the uh, actions uh, and spot the opportunities that are necessary to bring those things into being. And I also think that it facilitates the process of synchronicity mm. where the universe starts opening doors for you as well. Yeah. Yeah, everyone knows I, I'm smiling broadly because uh, synchronicity is, is, I like to think it's my bailiwick. I love talking about it. Well, I just did a show uh, on somebody else's uh, program about synchronicity clusters. So yes, I think they all uh, are interrelated, certainly, certainly. Well, what are the, speaking of synchronicity, is I wouldn't call that a modality, but yet another sort of um, a process, a universal language is what I like to call it. But aside from meditation, recognizing synchronicity, developing intuition. What are some other things that we can do to ready or prime ourselves to become more actively psychic, you think? There are a lot of very simple exercises, uh, just psychic muscle building exercises. uh, And that's what I uh, put together in Guide to Psychic Power. I took all of the things that I had felt really worked for me and other people that I had uh, observed from my energy healing, paranormal investigations, parapsychology studies, magical studies, uh, and um, a, a variety of psychic development courses that I took from different teachers. I combined uh, the best of the best from all of those uh, mm-hmm. for skill building exercises. And so just doing a few of those uh, from time to time uh, help as well. And Every one of us has um, a stronger sense than others. Some Mm. people are very visual. Some people hear things more, feel things more. And by doing different kinds of exercises, you start to learn where your strengths are. The most important thing, though, Alexis, is to pay attention to that uh, inner voice, no matter how that voice manifests, whether it's a feeling in the body or words in your head uh, or something that you just seem to know in some sort of holistic sort of way. It's very important to pay attention to that and to act on it. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I tell people, uh, you know, don't wait for the big, heavy uh, crises in your life where there's a tremendous amount of things at, str- at stake to, to um, start trying to be intuitive or psychic. You know, you should start to do it now uh, just as a, a general principle in life. And if you start with small things... Um, and learn how to trust that inner guidance and know when it's absolutely right. And no one's going to be right 100% of the time. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, the prompts you get are, you know, kind of vague. They could go either way. Uh, some are very strong. Uh, but until you start paying attention to your own cues mm-hmm. and acting on them, you, you won't have a clue how your own intuitive ability is trying to communicate with you. I agree with you. In fact, I did a little segment uh, in my conscious commentary segment called um, how to learn your intuition by ignoring it. 
I think that's that in and of itself is a great exercise because invariably, because a lot of these cues are subtle or a lot of these uh, promptings or hits are subtle, um, you miss them. But invariably, once you once there's some clarity um, of, of something that you didn't act on, you realize you had an intuition. And I think that there can be a process for really kind of uh, re-navigating chron chronologically how that hit was missed in order to kind of backtrack and figure out how you intuit. Does that make sense? It does. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you sort of retrofit the exactly. experience. And uh, it's it's uh, forensics, really. Mm, and exactly. I think that's important, too, because when we have a miss, and we all know when we have important misses, um, it is important to look back and say, well, when I felt that something was the wrong course of action, but I did it anyway, <laughs> mm. when we've all had those, uh, what happened to me? How did I know that? When did I feel that? Yes. And why did I override that? Mm -hmm. I think that's a great thing. It's kind of interesting. And of course, I was prompted to to expound upon this idea after I had yet another hit that I missed, <laughs> intuitive hit, uh, which I'll go into later. But I, I, I think there are, like you said, so many different ways that we can, I, I think the key is you really have to understand how you tick, how you work. And I agree that, you know, typically, uh, each of us has a unique uh, channel by which we receive as well as send, whether audibly, uh, visually, kinesthetically, which is feeling. So I, I agree with you there. Well, listen, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, I want to get into really the nuts and bolts of how we can use our psychic power, or as I'm calling this practical magic. Uh, I know you've got some, some great stuff up your sleeve there. And I want to talk about that right on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. Join me, George Norrie, in Joshua Tree, California, May 19th through the 22nd for the Contact in the Desert UFO Conference, a weekend of in-depth exploration into ancient aliens, human origins, crop circles, UFO sightings, and new evidence of ongoing contact. The conference will feature panels, lectures, films, workshops, and field work with leading experts, including me, Dr. Stephen Greer, Giorgio Sukalos, David Wilcock, Corey Good, Graham Hancock, Linda Moulton Howe, Jim Mars, Michael Tellinger, Eric Von Donneken, and many, many more, the biggest names in ufology. The Joshua Tree Retreat Center offers the perfect place for sightings through the clear desert sky. Last year, hundreds saw several real craft, as we reported, on Coast to Coast. Tickets to Contact in the Desert available at contactinthedesert.com or calling 323-721-1743. I look forward to seeing you in Joshua Tree in May. Contactinthedesert.com. All right, everyone, we're back. And uh, without further ado, Rosemary, let's talk about how to use our psychic power. How can we practice some positive magic? You know, you, you've mentioned that using this as a life enhancement tool can be applied to all areas of life. But here's a question. Is there one area of life that may be more easily affected than another when using specific practices? Say, using this, uh, using a practice for health and well-being versus our finances. Are there things that may be harder to influence in our lives than others? 
Yes, there are, Alexis, and that's interesting you bring it up. And yes, uh, I would like to mention that your psychic intuitive ability, and we're talking about the same thing here, whether you want to call it intuition or psychic power, uh, can definitely be used for healing and for well-being. But people have a harder and trickier time when it comes to finances. Hmm. And there seems to be something very difficult about um, doing things like uh, trying to uh, intuit the, the winning lottery numbers, for example. Um, and, you know, skeptics will say this to psychics all the time. Well, if you're so psychic, why can't you win the lottery? You know, mm. like you could sit down and meditate and pick out, you know, the night's winning numbers or something. And, uh, yes, it can happen. People, uh, I think people who are successful at whatever they do, and that includes finances because that's part of being successful, they pay a lot of attention to what they call their gut instinct or their hunches or um, when they feel lucky, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they have their psychic ability going for them and it helps them make wise choices about their finances, wise investments. Um, but when it comes to things like gambling and instant money wins, uh, the psychic faculty gets very wonky. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there, there's actually been studies done on this. Like, why? Why, why couldn't you um, do enough meditation to get some big lottery wins, for example? And I participated in one of those studies years ago. It was um, run by uh, some British parapsychologists. And it involved people all over the world, and the idea was that we would, at certain times of the day or night, which were picked out astrologically, uh, we would join in meditation wherever we were around the world um, for the purpose of getting the winning lottery numbers. That would that was the intention, mm-hmm. and that if numbers came to us during the meditation or whenever. Uh, we would write them down and send them in, and uh, all the numbers would be put into uh, an algorithmic analysis, and then lottery tickets would be purchased. We, um, there was a pool. Um, the uh, Society for Psychical Research kicked in some seed money for this. Hmm. And so um, I participated in this for quite some time, and the group had some really amazing wins not never a big win never the big jackpot Mm -hmm. but what would happen is that we would sort of get on a roll and we would have smaller wins for a period of time where the energy would start building think well ha you know we're just we've got to break through for the big one and then whatever money was won would go back in the kitty to buy more lottery tickets Mm -hmm. Uh, and eventually the study was ended because we never seemed to get past this roller coaster cycle of up and down that just never made, you know, the big break out. And uh, other studies have been done about, uh, for example, uh, there have been some um, that have showed that gamblers, for example, uh, tend to be luckier during the full moon. Hmm. And so you're gambling, let's say you're in a casino, you're playing blackjack, the slots, whatever. Uh, you're a one-armed bandit, and if you go on the full moon and you pay attention to what you think is going to pay off for you, you might be luckier than at other times. Interesting. So um, the, 
But getting back to your question about the money and why why it might be um, more difficult, my personal thought is um, there are a tremendous number of forces in motion at play all the time when it comes to money and making investments and people uh, sort of betting their hunches against other hunches. And as you know, the investment, uh, global investment market goes on the nanosecond these days with the computer algorithms. Um, These are forces in motion where I think it just becomes much more difficult for the individual on their little life raft in this tumultuous ocean to navigate very well. It's not like uh, operating within the, the sphere of your life. Uh, now, in the book, I have an example of um, a man who was uh, a vice president in a, a very large corporation, and it was his job to advise the board on investment decisions like bonds and, you know, movements of stock and things like that and uh, assets, you know, changes in assets and divesting things and acquiring things. And uh, he was a guy with pretty sharp psychic ability. And for a period in his life, uh, he had psychic dreams. Hmm. And he had dreams about his corporate investments. And uh, they were invariably accurate. Um, And he said that, but the difficult part of it was, he said, you can't just go into a board meeting and say, I had a dream last night that we should, (laughs) you know, um, buy these bonds. Uh, You've got to... and, and sometimes the, um, the the psychic information, you know, he would have to scramble around and, and find the validation for it in right. order to back to back up the decision. And I asked him, and then he said, you know, this went away after a while, you know, even though he was, in general, a very psychic, intuitive guy. And I asked him why, and he said, well, he said at the time, you know, my wife and I had two, you know, small children, and I was very concerned about, um, you know, providing for my family. And I think that emotional uh, energy hmm. did something. This is my personal theory, that emotional intensity of that did something to his own psychic faculty that kind ah. of kicked a, kicked a door open for a while. And when he began to feel more secure about that, then it, it faded back. I'm so glad you brought that up as if you were reading my mind, because I was just about to bring up the role that emotion might play, not only in helping someone move something psychically, but inhibiting. You know, when you talk about money, and this is this is just my sort of little two cents, no pun intended, just two cents. Um, emotion is such an amazing thing. We know that emotion is is made up of its energy and it has its own frequency depending on the range of emotion that we're having. When we think of money, and obviously most of us are indoctrinated into the the importance of money in order to live uh, and beyond, that there may be an undo when, let's say, somebody wants to do a little practical magic to bring more money into their lives. There, but there's so much pressure that one might put on themselves, and it may come out emotionally that may actually inhibit the, you know, whatever psychic faculty uh, could, you know, can do, or, or you know, it, it, it stops the, pro- it could stop the process or slow the process or inhibit the process. So again, I'm thinking, you know, when you're putting, it's like the watch kettle, you know, it never boils. You're looking, you're looking, you're looking, because you're so emotionally, you know. Uh, maxed out that it might actually hurt the process. Does that make sense? 
It does. It makes total sense, Alexis. And the thing with emotions is uh, they can either help you or hinder you when it comes to the psychic faculty. Psychic um, power and psychic phenomena in general run on emotions. Mm -hmm. The, uh, The emotions are a major component of any experience and also the manifestation of phenomena. It's like the electricity that um, that enables the, the these things to happen. And uh, so when we're in intense emotional states, um, either positive or negative, we can have very intense psychic breakthroughs. But then if we are too emotionally attached to a decision, for example, or a course of action, or the, you know, whether something is right or wrong, it absolutely hinders the process mm. of guidance getting through to us. Mm. Now, some studies that uh, have been done show that uh, when people are in um, optimistic, happy, mildly distracted states of consciousness, they have these breakthroughs more than at other times. So it's a lesson to us to, uh, quote-unquote, be in good cheer. In fact, Beethoven uh, commented that uh, he got um, many of his ideas for his composition when he would be in moments of good cheer. Uh, You know, just kind of not particularly thinking about anything, but just being in kind of a happy, almost distracted state of uh, mind. Mm -hmm. And uh, many people comment about this, that, they get their huge breakthroughs uh, on something that they've been very concerned about uh, and maybe even have applied some psychic work techniques too when they've been doing something like gardening or driving. Uh, they're in the shower. They're washing dishes. They're doing um, housework. Um, they're not particularly thinking of anything, but they're neither happy nor sad per se, but just sort of in a um, neutral state. A, a neutral yeah. state. That's interesting. Well, I'm thinking again, you know, and I'm I'm speaking on I think behalf of so many who are going through really periods of tumult and crisis and challenge. Not everybody, certainly, but the challenge, of course, for those that are in that state and are trying to use an applied method to get through the challenge, it can be almost impossible to relent on, you know, thinking about what that challenge is and get into a neutral state of mind. So therein lies the rub, I suppose. But uh, uh, I I would agree that, you know, we all have to do something else at some point, gardening and driving and washing the dishes, etc. might be that very thing. That's good advice. I think that's great advice, because I do think that emotion uh, plays such a critical role in in, in on both sides of, of the aisle, so to speak. So so let's, I want to get into some techniques, if you don't mind. A couple, couple of things that you might mention to our audience uh, that we could practice. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out. I'll start this out because I have a couple of things that I do in my little um, practice, I, I guess you could say, of manifesting uh, or, or trying to come up with an answer to something. And that's rhyming making up little rhymes where I use empowering words that uh, represent the problem that I might be having that's already solved. And another is I spell words. <laughs> Instead of saying the words, I'll spell them out. I'll spell them out letter by letter. Now, I know there's a history to these two practices as far as magic is concerned, isn't there? Well, it um, there are ways of both... Um 
putting something into concrete, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we write things down, when we say things aloud, uh, spell things out, uh, you are putting a vibration into the matrix of uh, reality and the forces that are in motion. And that vibration carries an intent, and that intent is aimed at a manifestation. And uh, one of the principles of magic, for example, uh, is that when you are casting a spell, Mm -hmm. um, it is vibrated. And what what the magicians mean by vibrated is that it is spoken aloud with such intensity that the body literally vibrates. You use your body to vibrate this sound. And it is the energy of the sound which then pierces the forces in motion in the cosmos and so spelling out a word is one way to do that also to add to that and um, rhymes have been used in magical practice for uh, a very long period of time and one term for them is charm a charm Mm -hmm. is like a little prayer or verse that has a rhyme to it and the act of rhyming has a particular energy to it, too, That's it's a completion. And so uh, when we cast a spell for something, which is setting an intention, uh, what the charm does is it kind of um, it summarizes it and completes it and wraps it up in a very concise sort of way. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it's something that, you know, rhyming, I've, obviously, as, as, as children, we invariably learn little nursery rhymes, etc. And I think there's still plenty of people that don't realize that there is sort of a, a psychic component to the act of rhyming. I just find it very n- natural. I like to make up things. I'm a word person. You know, I'm a wordsmith. So <laughs> it's, it's fun for me. And, and it's, yeah, it, it's, it's like a little game. So I enjoy doing that. How about you know what, before before I go into the next question, I want to say something for the record here, folks. And I think, you know, Ro and I are good people and we're all about the positivity. But I think it, it stands to say that when, and I said this at the top of the show, we're talking about magic with a C, not with a K, because that the spelling sort of denotes different intentions. We're not talking about black magic here. We're not talking about doing harm to another, because we do know, let's be frank, that there are people that have taken advantage of this power to use against another. This is about using um, an innate ability responsibly. So I think that stands, can't be reminded of that enough. So I uh, just want to put that out there as well. Um, let's talk about crystals and then mirrors. We touched on that earlier, but I have always had an affinity for crystals. I collect them and I think that they can be powerful allies, and, you know, can be used in many ways. How about that? What are What are some things that we can do with a crystal or two? In our magical practice. I like crystals and I do use them myself. They have been ascribed different um, spiritual and magical properties through the ages and um, crystals have their own energy. Uh, they have their own structures, they generate their own spiritual energy and those things have um, connections to other kinds of uh, similar energies. For example, clear quartz, is uh, uh, used as an energizer, as something that kind of literally clears uh, the environment in a room, aids clear thinking, aids a spiritual connection. 
Uh, amethysts are very good for the psychic faculty. Uh, their purple color is associated with the, um, the kind of the dark purple indigo color of the, uh, the third eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they have a clairvoyant uh, connection. Uh, red stones like uh, rubies and garnets uh, are associated with the life force, with vitality. And so they might be used as ways to energize or improve healing. And, and so it goes with crystals. And I think for people who feel an affinity to that, they then become very useful tools. Tools in and of themselves Um, are really neutral. They can be used in a positive way. They can be used in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And the more psychic you become and aware of these literally spiritual energies and vibrations and connections, uh, you start to feel affinities for things or maybe a dislike for certain things and affinities with others. And so many people find they have affinities with crystals and that having them in an environment or handling them Uh, wearing them as jewelry or keeping them in the pocket um, does something that enhances their overall well-being or their psychic faculty. And so they're useful in that way. And um, that's another thing that I encourage people to do is to experiment with different kinds of tools that are psychic door openers, Mm -hmm. dowsing rods, mirrors, crystals, uh, even ghost hunting equipment, Really? Uh, Pendulums. um, These are all uh, devices that uh, in and of themselves are inert, inert, but with an individual then um, become a way to um, help someone get in touch with their psychic faculties. Interesting. Well, you know, you and I have talked about this before, this this intrigue that I have had with mirrors and healthy respect, I have to say, for mirrors <laughs> and their ability to open doors. I'm still trying to get my arms around Rosemary, how this is so. And I, I do want to spend a few minutes talking about mirror scrying because um, I, in fact, I think we talked a bit about it uh, on our show a couple shows ago. I think it was with Sean Stone that we had on film. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. What is it about the mirror that can indeed be so powerful in both aiding psychic practice? Um, there there's, have been some nefarious things, I suppose, at times that can come through mirrors. What is it about the mirror? Well, the mirror has a number of properties that uh, affect the psychic faculty. And these have been known since ancient times. Ancient people discovered probably, uh, I want to say synchronistically or accidentally, that gazing into a reflective surface enabled them to see the spirit world. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. this probably started with bowls of water and ponds, still ponds and, and things like that, shiny surfaces, including dark, shiny surfaces. and Obsidian, um, I know. Obsidian, of- dark stones, uh, dark bowls filled with water, perhaps ink. And um, there, there are a number of properties about the reflective surface. And one is that it distorts space. And by distorting space, time gets distorted as well. In other words, a doorway mm. to an alternate reality opens. When you gaze into a silvery reflective surface, you're going to see a lot back at you. But there's more to it. There's a depth to it that becomes kind of unreachable. 
and when you stare into a black reflective surface, it's like a blank slate with no depth to it. And so this, um, again, acts on the psychic faculty. It helps that switch to flip on. I see. Where the natural psychic ability then uh, swings into gear. And these, uh, these things literally are, are doorways. Uh, other tools will do the same, but in, you know, different uh, ways and, and methods. But I've always found reflective surfaces to be uh, very, very um, productive and powerful. And interestingly, in paranormal uh, work, uh, it's well known that reflective surfaces are um, often a, a, a medium by which ghosts manifest. The TV set that switched off, the computer screen that switched off, hmm. the window. Uh, looking into a window and seeing something look back at you is uh, hmm. quite often reported. And the most astounding ghost photograph I ever took was um, in a window uh, where two forms manifested on the window with very clear detail. Now, did you see it as you were taking the picture or was it after the fact as you were looking at the picture? I did not see it when I took the picture. Interesting. And that's interesting as well. And in fact, uh, one of one, I can remember one of my cases where uh, a woman thought that she had a ghost in the house that watched her from the windows when she was outside in the garden. And she would look up, she was the only one in the house and she would look up into the window and never see anything, but still she felt watched. And uh, so she, uh, one night she took her camera outside thinking she might get a better shot at night. And she took a photograph of the window, not being able to see anything with her eyes, and there's clearly a a form, the the head and shoulders of of a form in the window, like someone looking back at her. Wow. So uh, there's something about that reflective surface that makes an ideal canvas for spirit. And uh, that includes the psychic faculty. So I'm a big believer in, in reflective surfaces, and I love black mirrors. Can they be dangerous, though, Rosemary? Well, any tool can have its dangers. And I'm frequently asked that about the mirrors because they look spooky to people, you know. <laughs> and and then we have stories like uh, Snow White where the Wicked Queen looks into a mirror and, uh, you know, the mirror talks back to her. And, uh, Which I'm Potter sure comes and... from that. That's where it comes <laughs> from. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, black things look dangerous and spooky to people. Um, but in all the years that I've taught black mirror gazing for contacting the dead, um, I've had a small number of people who've been unsettled by their experience, which is very typical for beginners who haven't done much psychic work. The psychic faculty isn't the same as uh, visual eyes, and um, these alternate realities are not quite the same as uh, physical reality. And so your first experiences may indeed be unsettling. Um, But in terms of people having out-and-out bad experiences, theoretically, yes, they can happen. Um, They could happen no matter what tool you use, but it's largely the user who determines the nature of the experience. Mm. And that's your, uh, you're bringing to a psychic doorway your mindset, uh, and that includes even your background fear. If you come to an experience uh, with some fear inside of you that, um, it might be bad, that could be amplified in the experience itself. Hmm. Um, some people want scary experiences. And then also people who have been struggling with a lot of 
um, tumultuous emotions. Maybe they're going through a bad patch in life, um, anger, depression, sadness, all of these things. Um, these are not the ideal conditions to bring to um, something like a, a powerful psychic interface because they will be magnified as well. Mm. So all of those things might determine the nature of your experience. That's important. Well, we're coming back full circle again because I think that there, again, are a lot of people that are in tumult right now that are looking for, you know, some resolve. So we have to take that into account. I would imagine that things like light meditation without any particular uh, modality of applied psychic process, you know, too intense might be uh, still a safe thing to do in the right emotional state, right? Well, Um, uh, meditation can, it's a great balancer and leveler. Hmm. And um, uh, for someone who's going through a a lot of upset, a a few minutes of meditation a day uh, will have a cumulative effect for the better. Mm -hmm. Uh, The individual may not feel it for a while, um, depending upon what's going on. And they could even spend a considerable amount of time in a learning curve, you know, just um, trying to get, get past being overly distracted. But it does help. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I, I think it's, uh, you know, we have to be aware of how, you know, what we're bringing to um, the table ourselves. Mm-hmm. It sounds like in all of these things, we, we are an integral part of the process of what, what it is we're trying to achieve or rid ourselves of whatever, we play a vital role. And I think that's a great way to segue with the few minutes that we have left, Rosemary. I want to talk about psychic protection, psychic protection, how we might insulate ourselves from the influence of others, whether human or non-human, who, who may not wish the best for us. We know that this is out there. And um, there are people that are actively involved, as sad as it is, in making life hell for other people for a number of reasons. So now that our psychic skills have been sharpened up a bit, how might we use uh, our all of these things to help insulate ourselves or protect ourselves psychically? Here again, it's through combinations of techniques uh, that um, individuals find to be very effective for them. And again, they're Uh, might be some experimentation that needs to take place until you sort of click with something that really works for you. There are all kinds of uh, effective techniques, but people have to find what they resonate with uh, because not everything is going to be equally effective for everyone else. Uh, Some people have um, naturally strong boundaries. You know, the uh, emotions and actions of other people don't uh, affect them in the ways that Um, more vulnerable people do. There are some people who are just very permeable, so to speak. They're Mm -hmm. easily easily affected by what other individuals say and do. These effects linger for a long period of time and have an emotional impact. Or they're very empathic. They get in crowds of people and they, they feel overwhelmed by emotion and negativity in people. Um, So, we all have our, our own boundaries, and that's why it's important to know what your boundaries are. Uh, and meditation and psychic work can, can help you uh, realize that. But certainly visualizing and putting energy into some sort of shield around you would be a basic defense. And this can be done visually with white light. 
Um, sometimes people visual, visualize themselves on like a crystalline egg where um, the beneficial good energy is allowed to pass through, but anything negative bounces off. Mm-hmm. And that's an important distinction because uh, positive energy has, has a much different frequency, so to speak, than negative energy. And so you can set your own filters like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, uh, sometimes uh, in, or in work situations, for example, where people have to deal with hostile individuals or people that they don't get along with or they feel have it in for them. But you still have to work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, one effective technique is to uh, visualize um, a spiritually bulletproof glass between you and that person. And you can see them and talk to them and um, still deal with them, but nothing from them passes through the glass. Well, these sound like simple, even simplistic um, techniques that, well, how is that going to work, the skeptic might ask. But they do work because they become part of your energy field, part of mm-hmm. your what you're projecting out from you. There are all kinds of body positions, too, that can shield your energy. If you're in the presence of negative people, you can uh, cross your, your hands yeah. on your lap. You can cross your feet. Um, it's important not to look people like that in the eye because they will use the eye either deliberately or e- sometimes even unwittingly as a way of getting through your defenses. Interesting. And uh, one one way to deflect that is to look instead at uh, the point where the nose meets the bridge of the eyes. And that gives the impression that you're looking at someone while you're talking to them, but you're not allowing that direct gaze uh, connection to be made. Very interesting. Oh, we could go on with this for a long time. There's a lot to, I think that we put enough out there, Rosemary, where people will have a lot to sort of meditate on and contemplate. I appreciate that. Wow. I I think we we should pick this up again. I think this definitely warrants part two, part three, etc. But in the meantime, I think people should pick up your book Guide to Psychic Power. It's a great volume and a, a great addition to any library for those looking to hone these skills. Tell us where people can find the book. It's available on Amazon and in many other places on the internet because I'm fairly widely distributed. And it's also available in ebook format on Kindle, uh, Nook, iTunes and Kobo. Great. What about the audiobook? You gonna do an audiobook? Um, probably not, because uh, this is a tutorial book, ah. and uh, it's not the kind of book that really lends itself well to an audio book. Mm-hmm. However, it does have meditations in it that um, may uh, go into uh, an applied version of it. Sounds great. Hint, hint. <laughs> I think we need to work on that for sure. And Absolutely. I, I also heard through the grapevine that you've got a new radio show. Not so new. It's about a year old called, called Strange Dimensions. Tell us about that. It's on the KGRA Digital Broadcasting Network. And my show airs 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern every Wednesday night, Strange Dimensions, in June which is my actual one-year anniversary. I'm Congrats. expanding the show to two hours. The uh, network is expanding, and uh, we're adding uh, new capabilities uh, for the hosts, like being able to take questions uh, from callers and uh, and things like that. So I'm expanding the show to uh, two hours. 
uh, one hour just isn't often, um, you know, enough. As for, we can see, right? <laughs> when they, right, when there's a lot of material. Yeah. But I love having a show. And uh, you've done such a great job uh, with Higher Journeys. And um, I'm really glad to be doing something along those lines myself. Strange Dimensions enables me to cover just about anything in paranormal and meta- metaphysics. And so on any given week... Um, I might be talking uh, one week about near-death experiences and afterlife communication, and the next week we're going to be digging into Bigfoot. Uh, So um, it's fun, and I love it, and uh, it's been a great medium. Love it. Well, we'll make sure to have the links, the appropriate links, so people can get there quickly, and I'm going to be tuning in as well. Well, as always, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, what a pleasure to talk about these fantastic things. And again, hoping that we we have left you all with plenty to contemplate and get started on using that psychic power and that practical magic. And with that, I will say thank you again, Rosemary. And to everyone, thanks for joining us for Higher Journeys. Take care. It seems clear that we are indeed innately connected to the psychic realm, and we have a myriad of ways to access this realm. For sure, meditation, practiced in whatever form you choose, will help you strengthen your psychic muscle. Whatever practice you decide on, please do so responsibly and with the most positive of intentions for you and those around you. Do visit Rosemary Ellen Guiley's website at visionaryliving.com to learn more about her work and to get her book, Guide to Psychic Power. And I'd also like to invite you to visit the newly designed higherjourneys.com website. We've made your journey online even more fun and user-friendly with more content, beautiful imagery, and of course, access to all of our shows, including our brand new HJTV. I hope you enjoy it. As always, I appreciate your tuning in to Higher Journeys. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.